0: The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories, and now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Ladies and gentlemen, we are joined by America's troubadour, singer, songwriter, performing and recording artist, we're welcoming back Mr. Don McLean. Thanks so much for making the time. Well, I'm always uh, happy to do it. Thank you for having me on your show. It's an honor. The last time we talked was back in 2011, and I remember you saying that you didn't think you were gonna do another album. You said, I don't wanna participate in what's out there. So what made you change your mind? Well, I don't really know
1: exactly how I, I do what I do. But I started, for some reason, writing songs. I had some sort of a an epiphany, I suppose, an awareness of something that I wanted to say. And without any assurance you know that I would have a record contract or anything, I just went ahead and started writing these songs. And then my uh, one of my guitar players, Mike Sievers, who does. A lot of uh, technical work for me he said, you know, let me, let me get in the studio. Let's, let's, you know, get some of this stuff and, and work on it and have some fun with it. And so he made some tracks with his brother and I liked them. And then I started to continue to write songs and it just sort of felt like that, you know. And then all of a sudden we had it all done and I sent it to uh, my agent in England, Paul Charles. And he said, BMG Records really wants to put this out. And they really like it a lot. So uh, that was a huge surprise. And they want to put money behind it, too. So that's what they're doing, and that's how it happens.
0: And the title track, Botanical Gardens, I really mm-hmm. like the song. and Thank you. I can, Absolutely, I can see... Like I visualize a lot of the things when I hear it. So what does botanical gardens mean to you? Well, I just wrote the song
1: because I've had uh, this feeling when I would walk in these gardens in Australia that were near the, uh, the Sydney Opera House. And they're glorious. You know, they're really just... And usually the days are beautiful and, you know, they're... Tropical birds and gorgeous, unusual flowers and animals and all kinds of things that are not, you wouldn't see, you know, in the United States. And I just loved it. You know, I mean, I'm I'm basically a nature boy anyway. You know, I've always lived in the uh, woods. So to be on tour in Australia and have this wonderful city of Sydney and then connected to this magnificent area was to me, uh, you know, the way civilization ought to be. I mean, it was the way civilization should be. So, you know, and I would see beautiful women and all this other stuff along with it. And I began to just think about the magic of some place like this and, and some kind of romantic fantasy kind of happening. And so, but once I wrote it and put it down, I thought, you know, it's really sort of heaven, you know, I've gone to heaven and do I want to go back to the world when the gates close? It's like a, a, almost a death experience in a sense, going to heaven or a a Shangri-La or something, you know, so, and uh, I don't really, you know, I just do things that come to me. I don't really have a whole lot of filters in the way because I, I never really worked for anybody. You know, I wasn't brought up in and have not been brought up in the workforce, you know, where there are so many red lights and uh, caution lights and, and taboos and, you know, all the rest of it. My mind is free of
0: that. I just think what I want to think. A lot of your albums seem to have a theme going through them, and this album, Botanical Gardens, that's going to be coming out, what would you say the theme is that runs through the songs? Um, The fragility and the
1: fragility of romance and love and the beauty of life and just trying to get hold of an essence of something, you know. We don't really have the right frame of mind until we lose something. Then we do. And life is so precious and I see it. I feel it. That's why everything I do now at this point in my life is a joy for me. I don't care what happens. You know, I'm healthy. I have money in the bank. I've got a good reputation. I got songs. People like what's, what's to complain about? You know what I mean? (laughs) And I see people moaning about all this stuff and it's just, their minds are not right. They don't understand that if they were in jail, you know, for years, what, how valuable would going out to dinner be, you know, or being free to go where you want it. If they were about to, if they were sick in bed, how how precious would it be to be able to take a walk, you know? So it's, I'm there all the time, pretty much. I don't know why that is. I've always been that way. Oh, I don't know how to say it any other way.
0: Hmm. You have a lot of gratitude.
1: Gratitude?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: well, I certainly don't think I'm anything much. So I don't go around thinking I deserve anything. But I do like to work hard. And I do like to put a, put forward ideas in songs and on stage that I've thought about, you know, rather than just do the same show every night or write a song with a bunch of stupid lyrics. And there's so much of that now. I mean, there's so many of these lyrics of some of these songs that just blather. I mean, I don't know what... the, the the English language is taking such a shot these days <laughs> with people and the way they use words and their vocabulary and their sentence structure and their everything. I mean, it's just it's, <laughs> it's
0: something else. I tell you. <laughs> well, on the other side, something that occurs to me is that your music has appealed to people not only of all ages, but throughout the ages. For example, Fred Astaire recorded one of your songs, Wonderful Baby. But then there's also, if you go, if you go through the years, each era, somebody interpreted one of your songs. Madonna, American Pie. Most recently, mm-hmm. the pop star Ellie Golding covering Vincent. Mm-hmm. Why do you think your songs have resonated with so many ages?
1: Um, because it, I don't want to say why. I mean, I I think that every artist that writes a song tries to do the very best they can. And some people have a little more talent than other people for doing the best. And it's a gift really. And I don't say that I've been given a gift and sometimes when I do it properly I produce something that is valuable to people and I've been given many gifts. My like, I've good health and you know, I've all these years and all this travel and all this work and You know, I just roll along. I was the right person with the right voice and the right looks at the right time in the early 1970s to break through and to have a career. So a lot of things were given to me. And hence the gratitude, I suppose, that you, that you think I have, which I do.
0: I had a professor in college. His name was Douglas Young. And every single year, I didn't know this at the time, but he would wear a Vincent Van Gogh Starry Night tie. And when he was talking about Van Gogh, he would play the song, your version, the original version, of Vincent. Mm. Mm. And he told me, after I got the chance to interview the first time, first of all, he was proud (laughs) that I got to do that, but he said all the years, many, many years of doing that, year after year, he does it every year, he has never had a student ever make a sound when that song was being played. Wow, that's something. It is.
1: <laughs> and that's funny. I'll tell you. I'll tell you a funny little story to go with that. That I was more or less an unknown. I had just put out the tapestry album, and I was writing new songs, and I was playing in a, in a uh, had a job to sing for a bunch of kids at a school in the evening, and I had just written a song, and you know, as I say, I wasn't. That well known at all, and the kids weren't paying much attention. I sang that song, and everybody stopped doing everything, and we're quiet. So, just to let you know, the first time I ever played this song uh, for a very disinterested audience, <laughs> there wasn't a the sound in the place. Well, I don't know how you, you know, you have to be fearless. If you want to get anywhere in life, you just have to take chances. And it seems that so much of the world is looking towards socialism or communism or, I don't know, unionism or any kind of ism, you know, that sort of answer everybody's problems. And You have to answer your own problems. You have to protect yourself and trust yourself and make your own moves and go your own way. And that's the only way you get to some place that's unique because otherwise, if you follow everybody, you're going to end up where they all are. I mean, when I started out, I knew what I was doing. I knew what I wanted to do and I didn't, after I got out of college, I was never very really close to too many people, but I lost. I didn't have after a few years, I didn't have a single friend from those days that, you know, I even spoke. There was no, there was no communication because they were married and they had kids and they were in a job and they were, you know, doing the, what they do. And I was out rambling around. They thought I was a wastrel. And then the only thing that made them change their mind was that I became very successful. Success is the only thing they understand. But I was successful before I made any money as far as I was concerned because I was very happy doing what I was doing. I was meeting very interesting people who were artistic and who were intelligent and political and and just You don't want to be earthbound. That was my goal. Anyway, I wanted to stay away from the mundane, the mundanity of the, and the drudgery that people are pulled into. And, you know, but there are people who like that. There are people who like it and there are artists who like it, who actually are poets and singers or whatever they are on the side. There've been some very good poets who've been uh, insurance brokers, you know, or math... You know, look at Tom Lear. He's a mathematician. So he has a... He likes the, the life of the, uh, the PhD-tenured professor, and he's also a very funny songwriter.
0: <laughs> You've crossed paths with a lot of very legendary people. There's the experience you had performing with Garth Brooks at the the famed Central Park Concert. And in your book, American Troubadour, there's tales about you crossing paths with Bob Dylan. That's just a couple of them, people that if you've crossed paths with. Who have you met that you were the most in awe of?
1: Uh, two people, Josh White and Pete Seeger. And they were exactly what I thought they would be. And Seeger was um, very kind to me. And he was a beautiful person. Uh, There were things I didn't like about his politics and about his some of the things he was up to, but uh, I loved him a lot. And I learned a lot from him, too. And I didn't know Josh White that well, but I worked with him. And uh, he was a genius, a guitar, a musical genius, without a doubt. And there's a lot of, I could give you a lot. And also, a, a great civil rights leader, decades before Martin Luther King. So he's my, one of my heroes. And I don't really use that word very much, you know. But I think Josh White is would always be one of my heroes, if not my only hero. I really think he came through so much adversity and came from so far away with so many disabilities, being poor, being black, being uneducated, and so on and so forth. And he ends up being a sophisticate, you know, who had Hemingway and Lillian Hellman and all the intellectuals at his feet, you know, at the New York Society, not to mention the Roosevelts. So this is a very important American, in my opinion.
0: On the flip side, what is it like when you meet someone who is in awe of you?
1: Well, I never take advantage of anybody who has blinders on uh, about me. I always treat them kindly, and I always am appreciative of the fact that they have found something that I did important to them. But I never throw my weight around or think that I am somebody, because I'm not. Nobody's anybody. We're just a bunch of little, little creatures out on a planet, you know, in the middle of space somewhere. <laughs> you got to be nice to each other.
0: Well, what has been the biggest compliment you've ever received?
1: Well, one of them was when Brian Wilson said, "I have a voice that could cut
0: through steel." Wow. <laughs> that is a compliment. <laughs> Do you think that there are any misconceptions that people have about Don McLean? Well, people have misconceptions
1: about everything. You know, I don't think there's any entity on the earth that is fully understood. It's all about image, you know. But I am, I have, I am very much like this, spiritually like the person that you would think wrote the songs that you hear and sing, and the person that sings the way that I do. I love beautiful things. I love beauty. And it's hard for me being in the world these days because everything is so technical and technology is not, I like things that are handmade and and I like poetry and I like language. I don't like numbers that much. And it's just getting started. You know, poetry is under siege and not just, Poems, I don't mean that that way. I mean, the idea of romance, beautiful things, there's poetry everywhere. I don't think, a lot of times I, I, sometimes I think, we will muse about this. I don't think that the people today, I don't care who it is, could ever come up with a name like Colorado. Or a name like the Rocky Mountains. Or a name like, uh, you know, Los Angeles. You know, these are Spanish, of course, but there's so many beautiful names to so many of our cities and our states. Arizona. I mean, gorgeous, you know. It'd be probably Unit 6 or (laughs) Unit 4B. I think of the difference, all right? If you were to have one of these technocrats call it unit something (laughs) rather than Arizona, that's the power of a word. And to me, when you have somebody that's in a corporation, and they're in every corporation called the human resources, what is that? (laughs) I would never want to be a human resource. You know, what am I... uh, copper, tin, wood, something like that. We have enough human resources stacked up in the uh over in the warehouse. You know, that's it's like 1984. I mean, I don't want any part of that stuff. And a lot of times, you know, I'll talk with people that I have some dealings with in a corporation and some Man or woman, you know, will take issue with my tone of voice or something that I'm saying. I say, listen, pal I don't work for you. <laughs> don't don't forget it, okay? I don't work for anybody. But they do that stuff in corporations, you know. Somebody's a little bit off, you know. They get told on, you know. It's like grammar school.
0: <laughs> what has being an artist taught you?
1: How about the world? Um, the only thing I wanted to do is explore whatever talent I had and to keep working at it. You know, singing, try to sing better, try to play better, try to, you know, work at that. Work at it. And um after a lifetime of doing that, you know, you get to the point where you know, you, it's just like a, a quarterback, he could be retired for 20 years, he could still knock you down with a pass, you know, because he worked at it so much, he was so good at it when he was young. So I just have enjoyed the the journey of not really knowing where I'm headed. And then looking back and saying, wow, look, you know, isn't it amazing how many great things happened, you know? And who could have imagined that they would have? And still more things to come. I like think that's what being an artist is. You make your own schedule. You make your own uh, plans, and you follow through. You know, you set goals for yourself, and you complete them. You follow through. I mean, Bob Dylan's a perfect example. He's, he sets his mind to write a book, and he writes a book, and he finishes the book. And another album needs to come out, he starts writing the song for it. He's disciplined. There are a lot of people sitting in bars right now that, well, I could have done this and I might have done that. Well, that's some bullshit, you know. (laughs) You've got to do it.
0: (laughs) Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've been joined by Don McLean. If you want more information, it's don-mclean.com or americanpie.com. Mr. McLean, I never dreamt I would get to talk to you twice. Thank you very much.
1: My pleasure entirely. I liked your questions and I liked uh, talking to you very, very much. And thank you for uh, interviewing me.
0: My pleasure. Well, you take care now. All right. Till next time. Thank you. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye bye. The Paul Leslie hour is hosted, produced and written by Paul Leslie for lifestyles entertainment. For information, visit the paulleslie.com. Thank you for being with us. Until next time.